and boy, have we got loads of tyranny running around. <laughs> We're, we've got this fake flu epidemic, the Wuhan flu. Uh, they're, they're drumming up vaccination rhetoric as we speak. We just can't get away from the hype and from the fake news, folks. But this is Eurofolk Radio, the refuge from fake news and fake religion and fake this and fake that. So we're going to continue our series here on bloodlines, on the definition, the proper usage of the word Jew and Gentile, and today also church. And we have a bilingual co-host today, Michael Sweet. How are you doing? bilingual co-host. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I'm doing very good, Eli. Thank you for inviting me. Yes, very good. All right, so, now, but before we get into the Hope of Israel article, which I posted into the chat room already, we want to talk about the word ecclesia. And uh, in looking up the word online, there was one site that said that there's 31 pronunciations (laughs) of this word, but I guess maybe in different languages, it's only a four-syllable word. And I have been going uh, throughout my life uh, pronouncing it Ecclesia. And the reason for that is because in Spanish, it's spelled I-G-L-E-S-I-A, and they pronounce it Iglesia, all right? So, uh, and, there, and Spanish is one of the original Aryan languages, the original Israelite languages, and uh, but I think uh, the Greeks actually pronounce it ecclesia, putting the accent on the third syllable. But either way, it's very commonly pronounced ecclesia and uh, ecclesia. Either way. So uh, now, what's the definition? Okay, it's a feminine noun from a compound ek and ecclesia. So it uh, it basically means a gathering. It does not mean church, okay? But however, in the KJV, it's translated 115 times as church, but only three times as assembly. Assembly is the far preferable translation, and uh, for for the very obvious reason that when we use the word church in English, and you know, I'll ask you about how it's used in Swedish. We, we're talking mainly about a denominational church, the church property, the building, the brick and mortar, the place of assembly. And uh, the place of assembly is always controlled by the Roman Catholic Church or the Anglican Church or the Baptist Church. Okay, uh, the word church has a much bigger meaning and a hierarchical meaning than the word assembly does. Okay. But in the scriptures, we're only talking about assemblies of Israelites. We're not talking about denominational churches. Okay, over to you, Michael, your comment here. Yeah, as I said, you have the same definitions used here in in uh, in Sweden for for those words for well, on church that will be kyrka in Swedish, and that is uh, uh, that's used in the same sense as you as you describe here. They only describe it as the as the physical building. It's uh, the bricks, the the buildings, the yeah, everything that mm-hmm. is. But it's only materialistic. It is not um, it is not used in the proper way and. Um, when we are on the word on this word, uh, I don't know you as as a German. What is the German word for church? Kirk, Kirke. 
Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, they are very similar to the Swedish words also, and they, I guess, they also use it the same there. So, but um, yeah. this is very easy to look up for anyone that has to, I don't know, have to, have to want to check it out in those concordants and just look up what is ecclesia, what that that's that mean. Yeah, right. That's the people. That's the people, yeah. and, and it's exclusively the people of Israel. It doesn't refer to, in the scripture, it doesn't refer to any other people except Israelites. And in fact, that's very easily proven. Uh, let me go to, well, first of all, let me just cite the uh, the woman, the Canaanite woman, who asked Yahshua in uh, Matthew chapter 15, verse 24, to heal her daughter. And the apostles would not even speak to her. And they, they, they actually yelled at Yahshua for even deeming to speak with her, right? But he finally relented. First, they all ignored her, including Jesus. He ignored her. But she persisted and said, okay, so what do you want, woman? <laughs> and he did. Well, I found up, wound up healing her daughter, reluctantly, but he did, okay? Now, the, um, this proves that the Israelites did not associate with Canaanites. Also, the Israelites would not associate with Samaritans, Okay, so uh, the woman of Samaria, actually Yahshua addresses her first. Let me quickly go to, uh, what is it here? Um, here's the sword. Okay, uh, John chapter 4, verses 3 and a few others here. Uh, he, meaning Yahshua, left Judea, and that's correctly translated here, folks. It's not J uh, Judah, because Judea was a mixed-race population run by the Herodian Pharisees, the Edomite Herodian Pharisees. So can't, Judah is the incorrect term because it's a mixed group. And he departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. All right, he had to go through Samaria to get to Galilee from Judea. Then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Yahshua, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. Now, what's the difference here between the woman of Samaria and the, the Canaanite woman? Yahshua addressed her, okay, which means she was an Israelite. He knew she was an Israelite, otherwise he would not even have addressed her, okay? So verse 8, for his disciples were gone away unto the city to buy meat. So he was there alone with her. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, how is it that thou, being a Judean, now here they use Jew instead of Judean, Ask his drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria. For the Judeans have no dealings with the Samaritans. <laughs> okay? So, these two verses prove conclusively that the Judahites, being a pure race of Aryan Adamic stock, refuse to have uh, dealings with non-Adamites. Uh, non Over to you. Yeah, that is... Uh uh, the, dif the difference here that, uh, as you point out, that Jesus, he, he manufactured, sought to speak with these women, with the case with the Canaanite women. Well, it took some time before he, he just, he, um, he had to address her. 
Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, that is uh, the big um, difference here. Um, yeah. Samaria, now I'm thinking. Um, Samaria, uh, what? because some of those parts in Judea was known to be known with Edomites, like mm-hmm. the Idumeans. They were known to be where the Edomites were dwelling. That's right. So. That, that was south of Judea. Okay. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, for those who aren't familiar with the biblical history of Samaria, that Samaria was created by the Assyrians when they took the ten northern tribes captive and took them away to Assyria. They put in other groups of people from other territories, including from Sepharvaim, uh, a suburb of Babylon. That's where the, the Sephardic Jews come from. And so they technically were not Edomites, but they're related to the Edomites in that they were Babylonian uh, Babylonian Sephards, you know, Babylonian Jews is what they were, okay? Uh, not, not necessarily from the tribe of Edom, but closely related, okay? And so those people lived in Samaria as well. So they would have been conspiring with the Edomites uh, against the Israelites at all times. Yeah, that was I was thinking about that Samaria also was no, was known to have what do you say Edomite like people, but they were them Babylonians. That's right. That's why when you said Samaria, because Samaria was like Judean also mixed mixed uh, mixed place. That is correct. That is correct. So the fact that Yahshua addressed the Samaritan woman directly, uh, he, that means he knew she was an Israelite. So. The, there were a smattering of Israelites in Samaria that somehow you know, got cut off from their own people. And she may have been a, a, a holdover from the ten northern tribes because the Israelites of the ten northern tribes, despite the fact that they practiced a lot of Canaanite religion, they would have stayed to themselves as much as they possibly could as well, right? So she was one of those who was a direct descendant of one of those ten northern Israelite tribes whose ancestors had not mixed with the Sephards, the Edomites, or any other people, Arabs, etc. Okay? That's why he addressed her. And uh, so, anyway, uh, she, uh, she acknowledges that he's Messiah, and so does the Canaanite woman. <laughs> I mean, yeah, they both acknowledged that he was the Messiah, son of David. Right? And they had heard about his, uh, well, the Samaritan woman hadn't heard about him yet. And then she asks him, uh, it sounds like you're a prophet, sir. And, she, and he says to her, not only am I a prophet, I am the one that Israel is waiting for. Okay, in other words, he's telling her, I am the Messiah. And she says, oh, really? And then she ran around and t- told all her friends, hey, this guy says he's the Messiah. <laughs> and, and he knew all about me, <laughs> right? So... Uh, th- these two women confirm that the Israelites did not have uh, intercourse, social or otherwise, uh, with the non-Israelites. All right, that's in the New Testament, folks. All right, so let's get back to the definition of ecclesia, outline of biblical usage, and this is from Strong's G1577. And again, it says here it's translated as church 115 times and as assembly, only three times. So it's only correctly translated three times. A gathering of Israel of citizens, they say, called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Okay, that is the correct definition, assembly. A, 
an assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of deliberating. B, the assembly of the Israelites, underline B, that is the correct translation. C, any gathering or throng of men assembled by chance, tumultuously, mob. D, in the Christian sense, an assembly of Christians gathered for worship in a religious meeting, a company of Christian, but we understand, Michael, that these Christians are can only be Israelites. And Matthew, yes, okay, uh, go ahead, and that, go ahead, yeah. Yeah, that is, um, that is kind of... Um, the next, the you, that is the first one, one B that you said, the assembly of Israelites. That is the first one that has to be fulfilled, and then yeah, the the company of Christians, and they are Israelites. Yeah, and you, you can't believe that these Israelites would suddenly, after the uh, crucifixion, suddenly mingle with non-Israelites. <laughs> you know that that ain't happening, folks. Uh, Yahshua himself refused to associate with that Canaanite woman, although he did heal her daughter, he told her very directly, I cannot give you the children's bread. Whatever was given to the covenant people Israel cannot be given to any other people, cannot be shared with Canaanites or any non-Israelites, period. That's what he said to her. I cannot give you the children's bread. It is not mine to give you that. But I will heal your daughter. That doesn't mean you become an Israelite. So the Bible is consistent all the way through. It's the story of the covenant people, Israel. And we are the bearers. We have the responsibility to uphold our part of the covenant so that we can gain the kingdom and rulership in the kingdom. This is not given to any other people besides Israel. It's very clear. All right. So let me go um, Thayer's Greek lexicon here. Uh, among the Greeks, so this would be the Greek definition. I, before even this one, it says here, properly a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public place, an assembly. Number one, among the Greeks from Thucydides, uh, see Herodotus 3.142 down, an assembly of the people convened at the public place of council for the purpose of deliberating, and see Acts 19.39, and I'll just do one more here. Number two, in the Septuagint, often equivalent to the assembly of the Israelites. All right? Okay. Now, what changed in the New Testament, Michael, that would change the definition, meaning an assembly of Israelites? Well, I haven't read anywhere there has been any changes to this. It is the church doctrine. That's right. That's church doctrine. There you go. <laughs> Churchianity. Churchianity uses this word because they want you, us, to believe that their hierarchical denomination is being implied by the New Testament. It is not, folks. That's a lie. Yeah, and isn't this also like one of the universalistic agenda they have to do to say it is a building? Because otherwise they come to the this, uh, uh, I guess that also has to do with this um, universalistic uh, views that so they can gather in every mixed multitude into the churches. Yeah, amen. Well, now that I'm thinking about it, because uh, I grew up uh, outside of the, well, the parish, 
the parish of St. Alphonsus School. So I went to St. Alphonsus Church virtually every Sunday. And uh, the only meaning of the word church I had was that building. <laughs> that, that's the building I went to to attend church, okay? Uh, I never heard them use assembly, although they would use the word congregation occasionally, but very rarely the word assembly. So the bottom line, folks, is that the word assembly, the word ecclesia in the Greek, refers to a congregation or assembly of Israelites, period. Nobody else. That's the true definition of ecclesia. Okay, so let's get back to our proof text here from the Hope of Israel, which is an article about Judaism by Ernest L. Martin. And Ernest L. Martin himself has a a real problem dealing with these fake words like Jew, Gentile, church, okay? He uses the words that the typical Judeo-Christian uses. He By Jew, he means Judahites. And we've uh, done several shows proving that since the Judahites never refer to themselves as Jews, neither should we. And it's, the, it's a Jewish lie that they are the children of Israel. Over to you. Yeah, but that is this great impersonation that always comes back to the Revelation two nine and three nine that say they are uh, they are Judites but are not. Or then if you change the word to Jew, it gets the same. So they're full anyway. So that is this right. Revelation two nine and three nine. Amen. So there's an impersonation going on there. It's being declared in those two verses. And nobody understands what that verse, those two verses mean because they don't understand that the Jews are fakes. Now, he does understand that Judaism is a fake religion. What he doesn't understand is the Jews are fake Judahites or Israelites, however the case may be. Now, interestingly, in British Israel, they teach that the word Jew can only be applied to the tribe of Judah. And the other 11 tribes are Israelites because they were the tribes that were taken north by the Assyrians. And nowhere does the Bible refer to these 10 northern tribes as Jews. Okay? Yet the Jews would have us believe that all the word Israel and Jew are equivalent. All right? So at least the British Israelites understand that there's a problem using the word Jew to equate with Israelite. Okay, but we're saying that it's even wrong to equate Judah with Jew because the Judahites were a pure blooded Adamic Aryan tribe directly descended from the patriarch Judah. The Jews are a mixed race people, primarily consisting of Edomites and some Judahites because they blended in with the Judahites in Judea. So the proper terminology for the country where this blending, where this mixing was going on, is Judea, not Jew, or Jew land, however you want to, Judea. So we make a distinction. The word Jew never should be used for Judah. It shouldn't even be used for the Judeans. We should, because that's, at least half of those people, if not more than half, are actually Judahites, who never called themselves Jews, but Judean is proper, as we just found out in John chapter 4, that the country was called Judea, and that's the proper translation. So, and then uh, we have uh, the Edomites. 
The Edomites are properly called Jews because that's what they call themselves even today. That's what they call themselves. All right. So they must distinguish between these three words, Judah, Judean, and or Judahite, Judean, and Jew. Three distinct categories with specific definitions that cannot be equated. All right. Just as in Sweden today, uh, there, there's a tendency by the left to call the invading Arabs and Muslims <laughs> Swedes. Okay, uh, what's going on here? Isn't somebody messing with the definition? Yeah, but nothing is new under the sun, I guess. Don't, don't they do the same to you in America? Yes, uh, right. Everything that you have, do you, I guess you more have the Mexicans then, so they use the same there. Mex-Americans, Mexifornians, right? You have to have the proper terminology to describe the differing ethnic groups that are occurring. All right? So you can't use a word which was exclusively attributed to a pure-blooded tribe, namely Judah, and apply that to a mixed-race mongrel group. You just can't. You're messing with the language when you do that. And that's the problem with the Bible, the English translations. And as we're finding, because I, I know the German versions have just as horrible a translation, and I'm sure the Swedish translations have similar problems. Okay. Yeah. It has, it has the similar problems, and it was based on Martin Luther's uh, works. So they have the, probably that's the one you're referring to in the German, I guess. So it's yeah. the same, same right. ones. The Lutheran Bible, right? And so he, uh, he, I think Luther, even Luther, assumed that the Jews were descended from some of the tribes of Israel, and gave him that much credit. But I think later on he realized that they were an antichrist people, whatever their origin, and could not be recognized as Israelites any longer. <laughs> right? That's what Martin Luther finally concluded. All right, so let's get now back into this article, Hope of Israel. And we're going to scroll down to the Capernaum Synagogue. So uh, this link should be in your um, uh, uh, in the chat room, folks. So uh, why don't you take this very first uh, section here, Capernaum Synagogue, and then I'm going to take a quick leap over to the chat room, okay? Yes, and uh, this is the Capernaum Synagogue. Uh, it is a matter of history recorded in the New Testament that there was only one synagogue in the city of Capernaum in Galilee. And we can put in here that Galilee was uh, one of the places where the Judites were dwelling. Um, I'll continue. And even that was built by the Gentile. I don't know that is that. Uh, oh, yeah, that's bad. Or, yeah, that's yeah. a bad one. Something yeah. is telling me that's brought bad. Yeah, he doesn't know that about the Gentile. He doesn't know that the word Gentile is a bad translation, too. Okay. Yeah, it should be so, nation, I guess. Boom. Right, it should be. Right, there you go. Yeah. Um, so that's from Luke. Uh, 7, 1 until 5, uh, that only one synagogue existed in such a large city, surprises even uh, Eders uh, Haim, one of the foremost Judahite writer on early... Very good. Know, yeah. This is very early Judaism. That cannot be. It has to be early yeah. Christianity. I don't know what to say. I don't know if or I'm mistaken here. Well, Edersheim is a Jew. Okay. Uh -huh. So, all right. So he is one of the most foremost Jewish writers on early uh, okay. Jews. Then I, then okay. I was wrong. 
Yeah, he is. No, he's correct. Edersheim is a Jew, and uh, but he believes he takes Edersheim's usage of the word Jew, Judaism, uh, Judah, etc., seriously when we shouldn't. Okay, so back to you. Yeah, but but in in Galilee, was there many Edomites in Galilee? That's a good question. I don't think so. No, uh, that's why uh, it's something. If they say it's only one synagogue. The only one, but if they weren't in Galilee, then most be cannot be okay. correct. All right. Okay. So here we see again the word synagogue is actually uh, the very same. It's just the uh, I think it's a Latin version of ecclesia, so that uh, it's basically referring to a gathering. But uh, at, at least in Capernaum, they had actually uh, created a building where these people could meet, okay? So for inclement weather, they could go inside. If, if it was good weather, they could meet outside. But uh, these people were essentially the tribe of Benjamin, okay? They were Israelites of the tribe of Benjamin. They had their own synagogue building, which were, uh, the author here is telling us there were very, very few of these types of buildings outside of Judea proper, okay? Back to you. Yeah, I will read on, but I have more problem mm. when I read there, I see. I will read. Uh, okay. Because Capernaum was very significant in New Testament times, and a considerable, here they say, Jewish population. No, that's false. That's false. There were, there were hardly even any Judahites there. They were Benjaminites. Okay? Yeah. So that, uh, yeah. yeah, okay. Uh, see life and time of uh, Jesus the Messiah, and here is a reference. for. But so the problem is, I would say that... Uh, he tr he's, he's trying to get this per impersonations going here, I would say. Well, <laughs> yeah, he's deceived. He's deceived by the improper use of language by the Jews. He has adopted their definitions. Which, yeah, yeah, it is. Okay, yeah. Please continue. Yeah. Um, the ruins of this synagogue shows that it would have probably seated around 500 people at the very most. Uh, this was certainly not large for a city of Capernaum. So here he is referring to a building. Right, exactly. Right. Now, uh, it's interesting that now, now this was the first synagogue that Yeshua preached at, where he quoted Isaiah, where he says, I have come to uh, uh, set the prisoners free, to uh, pr uh, preach to the brokenhearted, etc., etc. And, and he says to this, People gathered there, uh, I am he. And uh, now this was Benjaminites, the Israelites, and they looked at each other and said, is this guy claiming to be the Messiah? Let's throw him off the cliff, <laughs> right? So as John 1.1 states, his own received him not. Okay, yeah. back to and you. And wasn't Capernaum the place where... Uh, those people saw Jesus Christ when he was a little children, you know, crawling around. Yeah, well, that was they, Nazareth. They, they, that was Nazareth, yeah, and yeah, not, course, not yeah, far away. Yeah, of course. Not, yeah, yeah, okay. Very good. Uh, so, sorry for that. Let's no, go no on here with Josephus. Uh, tells us that uh, there was no city or village, township in the, in the Galilee that had less than uh, 15,000 inhabitants. And here he said, yeah, war of the Jews, but it must be war of the, of the Judahites. That's correct. That's correct. Um, there is no reason to doubt Josephus' statement regarding this, for he uh, should have known he was a governor of the province of Galilee under Romans and was well aware of the number of his constituents. 
especially since he was responsible for collecting taxes from them. So, from Josephus, uh, we can be certain that Capernaum had at least 15,000 inhabitants, but um, from other evidence which shows its political importance in Galilee, there must have been considerable more inhabitants. Right. So, like the like the Chicago city of Chicago has three million inhabitants, but the surrounding suburbs, you know, the greater metropolitan area, there's like fifteen million. <laughs> right. It's a huge metropolitan area, and uh, but I think that's what he's trying to say here. Yeah, Galilee is bigger. It's a bigger mm. place for for our Israelite brothers where they dwell. That's, that's right. So, and I, I may cannot be in any Edomites who live there. Right. Yeah, there wouldn't be any Edomites because the Israelites were forbidden to associate with them. Okay? Yeah, so that's li- uh, yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, like we said last time, uh, if you if you're able to mistake Arnold Schwarzenegger for Danny DeVito, <laughs> then, then you have a, a, a vision problem. Okay, the yeah. um, but there were Edomites who managed to pass themselves off as Israelites and or Judahites. That's the problem, okay? That's what these Pharisees were doing. They were passing themselves off as Israelites. Back to you. Yeah. Okay, we read on here. Mm-hmm. So I will also correct here, I see. Most of the people in Galilee were Judahites. Right. Or actually, it should be, they refer to themselves as Israelites, because yeah, they were okay. not. I, can use, I use that when I see that right? word. I think Judite, but yeah. yeah. So they, they, they were Israelites. Yeah, this shows how badly the average Judeo Christian misunderstands the ethnic reality of Palestine when Yahshua walked the earth. They simply do not understand the differences between the various groups of people. Back to you. Yeah, and that also shows his when he mixed up even the Israelites, where he lumped in even the Benjaminites. Right, with, um, the Judites here. That's correct. That's correct. So, uh, yeah, I will continue. Uh, Matthew's History of the New Testament Times in Palestine, page 149. That was a reference. Yes. Um, and of his Galilean population, it is said that uh, no regime was more uh, punctual in observance of the Sabbath and feasts. Um, they must have been Israelites. Yes, they were. Exactly. Of the tribe uh, of Benjamin. Yeah. yeah. And yet, there was only one synagogue in Capernaum, one of the chief cities of Galilee. Right. Okay, now it's very interesting. Now, since the word assembly, ecclesia, means gathering or assembly or congregation, it doesn't have any reference to a particular building, which means that the Israelites could have gathered among themselves in their, in their homes or in their backyards and held their own Sabbath Celebration, okay? So I think he's falsely assuming that the Israelites, the Benjamites, the Judahites, were not practicing Israelites, but were slack in their faith. You can't assume that from the mere fact that this particular building was not used by the entire population of Capernaum. They wouldn't fit in that building anyway, right? So... Uh, he make a, a false assumption that uh, that these Israelites were slack in their observance of the Sabbath. No, they weren't. Back to you. Yeah, I will read on. Um, the importance of Capernaum in New Testament times has been recognized by our um, contemporary historians, and that's from the International Standard Bible 
Encyclopedia. Um, it is known that the city was the residence of a high officer of the king and significant enough to have a custom, a custom station. So this was a kind of big place for the Benjaminites yes, here. That's right. I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, okay. Nonetheless, even being one of the sheep cities in Galilee and having a considerable Israelite population. There you go. Excellent. <laughs> it, had, it yeah. had only one synagogue in the New Testament. The definitions Greek article is used, which indicate only one synagogue. Okay. Um, it would have been virtually impossible to get even 10% of the Israelite population into the synagogue of, for Sabbath yeah. service. Yeah, the service um, to indicate that only a small minority of the Israelite attended. Yeah, he makes a really big deal out of this, but it's not significant because, number one, as we just said, the population, the Israelite population there could not fit into that building, right? And uh, they held services of their own, their own familial congregations, which is what we do in identity today, right? We we get our local group of Israelites together and we hold Sabbath services or feast day service, whatever the case may be, okay? So, uh, okay, I lost a cut. Where, where are you at, uh, Michael? Uh, now the new we will start, that is the Nazareth synagogue here, the, the birthplace of Jesus Christ, of course. So, yeah, yeah. my, I have the problem I have with him that he's good in history, but that he, he mixes in also the I guess he did, doesn't see doesn't see the difference between the Benjaminites and the Judites and mix them in and call them call them this false false name also. Cause so he's he's yeah. not so good at that. He he missed that. Right. Yeah. He's really bad on the ethnic differentiation that obtained in Palestine in those days, and that's typical of Judeo-Christian theologians. They just don't understand. Now, he does understand that Judaism is a fake religion. He doesn't understand that the Jews are fake Israelites. That he doesn't understand because he's confused by these words Jew, Gentile, and hopefully he understands that the church, the ecclesia, consisted exclusively of Israelites. There were no Jews. There were no uh, you know, Arabs. These were congregations of Israelites who maintained their racial exclusivity because that's what the Bible demands. Okay? And very, very few Judeo-Christian theologians will admit this. Okay? All right, uh, so let's go through the Nazareth synagogue. I'll pick it up from here. It is known that the great bulk of the synagogues of Galilee were quite small inside. Now, is he talking about congregations or buildings? <laughs> Right. Yeah, my, uh, one of my also can this be that he thinks he looks at this um, the Capernaum synagogue and looking at the same way as the church should look at buildings today. So well, it should be a big church here. He, he looks at it as a building. Yeah, if that could be one of the, one of the problem why he doesn't recognize it is only a, so small. Right. Yeah, and he makes the assumption that because there were so few synagogues that the people weren't religious. That's a false assumption because, you know, it's, it's a long distance for people to have to travel to, to go to this particular building when it's not required. Uh, Yahshua says, go, to, go into your closet and pray, <laughs> right? It's best to have an assembly of Israelites to confirm each other's faith, but uh, it's not required. You do not have to go to a particular building to worship Yahshua, period. All right, so 
Okay, so <laughs> he says, even though the bulk of the synagogues in Galilee were quite small in size, even though there were a considerable number of Israelites living in every city. He uses the word Jews here, which is incorrect. These people were not Jews. They were Israelites. And this is a quotation from Matthew's History of New Testament Times in Palestine. In Nazareth, where Yeshua was brought up, there was one synagogue. He's obviously referring to a building here. This in itself is not surprising, for Nazareth was not of the same prominence as Capernaum. But here we see that because he's referring to a particular building, he makes the false assumption that the Israelites, the, the Benjaminites who were living in Galilee, were not religious, were not faithful. That's a false assumption. Yet Nazareth, with its immediate environs to again cite Josephus, had at least 15,000 inhabitants. It was certainly no mean city, even though it was smaller than Capernaum. Edersheim, again, who was a Jew, informs us that Nazareth was a religious center for certain of the priests who ministered in the temple. Okay, that's possible, but, but here, are these Pharisees? Are these Edomite Pharisees? Or are they Benjaminites who made their way to the temple in Jerusalem to do their services? We have what's called the 24 courses. And um, Elizabeth's husband, you know, who, who brought forth uh, the, John the Baptist, he was a member, he was a, a volunteer who uh, went into the Jerusalem temple as part of the 24 courses. Okay, they, they divvied the 24 courses up to two periods each year of service in the temple in Jerusalem. These people were Israelites. Okay, the Pharisees had political control of Jerusalem, but they, you know, you, you know as well as I do, Michael, the Jews don't do grunt work. <laughs> they leave that to the goyim. All right, they like to give orders. But yeah, that's what I, as you said, when you read this, religious center for certain priests, they, as you said, they could also be the Pharisees because of, haven't the Pharisees uh, pushed out all the uh, the pure Judites and Benjaminites out of this service so they could have it for themselves? Yeah, yeah, well, they would. Yeah, that was their ultimate purpose is to totally replace the Levitical priesthood. But the Levitical priesthood had ceased to have a function because the Messiah had come, <laughs> right? They were all about the ritual sacrifices, which ended at Calvary. So the Levitical priesthood was no longer required, but the Pharisees took their place, even though they were not Israelites. They were Edomites. Nevertheless, there were a few Israelite, uh, Judahite priests who assembled with the Pharisees, either out of ignorance or out of uh, betrayal to their own people, one or the other, okay? All right, so continuing here. Also, Nazareth was one of the major cities located on the great caravan route from the Mediterranean Sea to Damascus. This location gave it particular importance. Yeah, okay, uh, at this point I would say that the typical Israelite, uh, be he a fisherman, uh, butcher, baker, candlestick maker, farmer, these people would not be associating with people from outside of the congregation, okay? Only the Israelite merchants would do such a thing, and the political leaders would do such a thing, all right? 
So, but the Pharisees, being already mixed mixed race Edomites, they would you know they would want to dwell in Jerusalem or any center of commerce, which apparently Nazareth was. Okay, so the the question is, to what extent did these Nazarenes accept an Edomite Pharisee into their company? If they knew that this guy was not an Israelite, they would have rejected such a person. And there's no evidence from what I can see that the Pharisees migrated from the city of Jerusalem out to the countryside. I think they would have been afraid that they'd be rejected. Okay? So, was there such a thing as an Israelite Pharisee? Well, he doesn't prove the point. He doesn't prove the point. And Paul... What he did was he set up Israelite congregations throughout the Levant, which is, you know, Palestine and and points north, and they elected their own bishops, their own priests, their own, uh, what's the word, Uh, you know, the, the various officials of the congregation, the elders, from among themselves. They were not supplied by the Roman Catholic Church or any other organization. They elected their own representatives, including the bishop, okay? So these congregations, whether they had a a synagogue building or not, were the ecclesia of Israel. That's what they were, okay? And they did not include non-Israelites. This is a false assumption that virtually all Judeo-Christians make, all right? So let's, uh, where was I? Okay. Uh, But even um, with these advantages. Right, okay. But even with these advantages, the ruins of the synagogue at Nazareth, again, he's talking about a building, show that it was so small that it could hardly seat more than 75 souls. The size shows how insignificant was the synagogue compared to the population of the town of Nazareth, which numbered over 15,000 inhabitants. This, again, serves to indicate that the synagogues were not attended regularly except by the most pious of the common people. Again, he since he's talking about a building, he makes the false assumption that the Benjaminites in and around Nazareth were not pious. Okay? They weren't required to attend a church building. They were only required to assemble. Next sentence. The rest of them were not particularly interested in religion. <laughs> well, see, this is a false assumption. The fact is, when Yahshua came on so-called Palm Sunday, which was actually Selection Day, he was uh, fated by uh, throngs, thousands of people, you know, throwing laurels at his feet and a red carpet if there was one in those days and saying, Hosanna in the highest, the king has come. Who would have done this other than Israelites? Okay, so this unfamiliarity with the correct terminology shows that Ernest L. Martin is jumping to all kinds of wrong conclusions about the people of Israel in these days. All right, very important to understand that if you buy into Jewish definitions of words, you will not understand the Holy Bible. You will not understand it. Okay. Yeah, and just by his... I, I believe also his misconceptions regarding to the to the to the synagogues. The, he looks after buildings like today. I believe it should be as today. Yeah. But it's not. So then he makes those false assumptions regarding the buildings. He, oh, it's too small. 
how could this be? So that's that is also one of his false assumptions that he and that one travels on for him. So yeah. if he would have have looked up the word uh, ecclesiastic, he would have understood this as why it is like this. That's what he gave him his answers. Right. And then he also lumps up the, the Israelites and the Judites with the yeah. you know, Jews. So that's also wrong. Yeah, so essentially what he's saying is, what's wrong with these Israelites? They don't go to church. <laughs> they, won't, they won't go to the synagogue. They don't have to. Even in the, in the Roman Catholic Church, there's a growing movement, uh, the, the, the traditional Catholic movement, where they reject the papacy, they reject Vatican II. Where do they meet? They meet in each other's homes. Or if they're lucky, they can meet in uh, in a church that will allow them to meet there, right? Or they'll have to rent a hall or meet in somebody's basement or wherever, okay? They can meet in the park. doesn't matter because the word ecclesia means assembly of Israelites. It does not mean the, the building that they meet in. That's just, we've grown used to that usage, but it's a false usage, okay? So, and he concludes that they uh, undoubtedly many of them did attend the annual festivals which were held in the synagogues and at the temple in Jerusalem, but they were also held outside. The Feast of Tabernacles is held outside. You have to put up your own tent. To the Israelites, not Jews, the annual festivals were like national holidays. But the evidence is clearly against the masses attending the synagogues regularly every Sabbath. Well, again, they didn't have to. That's what he does. It's amazing to me. He doesn't understand this. Yeah, and that builds on his misconception regarding one word, and that is ecclesiastic. That is right. his problem. Then yeah. it falls along for him. Exactly. So now we've just discovered another word, and I actually did a show on this uh, Friday night on Yahweh's Covenant People that the word ecclesia does not mean a building. It means the assembly of Israel. And you, if you have the wrong definition of these words, you're going to misunderstand what's going on in the scriptures. Uh, a couple more paragraphs here. It has been conjectured by some that the Nazareth synagogue may have been built later than the time of Messiah because it was not situated in the highest part of the city, as they supposedly think it should have been. However, Edersheim, the Jew, shows that this is not a proper criterion and rejects that supposition. I, I'm sorry, Michael, I have to agree with the Jew here. <laughs> anyway, there is every reason to believe that this small synagogue was the one Yeshua attended. Okay, very good. Okay. I mean, if there was a building you could hold a meeting in, that's where they would go. If there wasn't, you didn't have to go there. This religion condition religious condition in Palestine nearly 2,000 years ago should not surprise us much. Today, it is common for many of the people who profess Christianity to attend church only in the two pagan holidays <laughs> that almost all churches celebrate today, Easter and Christmas. Very good. The rest of the year finds the majority not attending church with any regularity, and I found that to be true with Roman Catholicism. The regular Sunday, there is hardly ever anybody in church. Basically, about maybe 20, 30 women up front. And uh, sometimes they would drag their husbands into church. But the only time the church was filled was at Christmas and Easter. That's it. Okay? 
Well, now now they won't look look at Super Bowl or something like that. <laughs> right? Yeah. Amen. Conclude the service. I want to get home and watch the Super Bowl or go play golf or whatever. Right. The rest of the year finds a majority not attending church with any regularity. But see, he doesn't. That does not mean that they weren't pious Israelites, faithful Israelites. They probably were meeting. Uh, and the fact is. Paul, in the various assemblies that he created and attended, because some of these assemblies were, were already there when he got to these the cities, that uh, he just was verifying their faith. It's, it's a false assumption to assume that these Israelites in the various cities that Paul went to weren't already practicing their faith. They just kept their, up their old traditions. Now, he was, his mission was to explain to them that Messiah had come, and that the sacrifices were no longer necessary. That because Yahshua had fulfilled the the Pasha prophecies, all right. And the, the Judahites had great difficulty in accepting this, because number one, he was a Nazarene, <laughs> right? Who's this Nazarene telling us people of Judah that uh, he is the Messiah? I don't believe it, is basically what most of them said. But with all the proofs, uh, and when Peter addressed the assembly, the assembled Israelites, because he, he addresses them as men of Israel, he told them, you have participated in the killing of your own Messiah. And they, the, the next line is, and they were cut to the heart. Oh my God! What have I done? You think if uh, you think an Edomite would have reacted in such a way? Not like that. No, no. no. They would say, "So what? <laughs> we have no king but Caesar." Okay. Yeah, and this uh, also. I mean, if we look at how it is today, and all um, all the Christians that. Uh, tells it how it is and and get crucified or you know get uh, uh, you know get uh, ridiculed you, there you get this constant um, um, you get ridiculed by people that's they're right. doing it again they're yeah. always doing it again yeah. they are uh, crucifying their own brothers they're trying to wake them up and that Amen. is nothing is new under sun it still happens today their own brothers is yeah as I also said that the that the enemies will be in your own house and that's how how right. it looks when as, you, as in Capernaum, they want to throw him off the cliff. Right, exactly. Well, I mean, it is still true today. Paul prophesied there would be a great apostasy of the Israelites in these latter days, and that's what we're seeing. They are apostate Christians, apostate Israelites. And I know that the word Christian doesn't even apply to them because Judeo-Christianity is an abomination. It's a false view of Scripture. And Ernest L. Martin here shows that he has been influenced by these false definitions by the Jews as well. He doesn't understand what's going on in in Palestine in these days, okay? And I think he's probably also a universalist, although he doesn't talk about it. He probably is. In other words, that the covenant has been generalized to all populations and all races. The Bible absolutely uh, you know, puts a kibosh on that idea if you read it carefully, okay? So, uh, one more paragraph in this section. 
This religious condition in Palestine nearly 2,000 years ago should be should not surprise us much. Uh, oh, yeah, I, I just read this. Yeah, And then, uh, then he says, the Jews, but it should be the Israelites in that day, can be compared in like manner to the common tendency today. And that is correct. The Israelites of today are pretty much irreligious. They, If they go to church, it's only for the, the big feast days, which are pagan feast days, by the way. Easter and Christmas, etc. So, I mean, man, is the apostasy complete or what? There was a prophecy, another prophecy that Yeshua made when he told the apostles to go out and convert the Israelites of the world. You shall not have gone over the cities of Israel until the Son of Man be come. In other words, you won't be done preaching to the Israelites in the world even when, even when I come the second time, you'll still be trying to convert the true Israelites to the proper religion, okay? So this is where we're at, folks. The, the prophecies of the Bible are absolutely spot on. The great apostasy is here. The vast majority of people who call themselves Christians are apostate, and they don't know any better, Okay? They sim- simply don't know any better. All right, so uh, he, he um, let's drop down. He, he basically continues on this theme for the next couple of sections. You want to drop down to popular Judaism like popular Christianity? Now, he does understand that Judaism is a fake religion, but he doesn't understand that the Jews are fake Israelites. <laughs> he doesn't understand that. Okay, so you want to take that particular section? Yes, popular Jews like popular uh, Christianity. Uh, The religious conditions of the, uh, I would say, Judites, Israelites, um, during the days of the Messiah can be compared with our own society. Yeah, we are living in in modern-day Judea, I would say. Um, Today, there are about 750 million people who claim to be Uh, Christians. But how many of these are fervent in their beliefs? Oh, cannot be so many though. No. Uh, um, How many are consistent churchgoers? Yeah, here again, he's he's wrong on the church. He's ecclesiastic. He's got that wrong. Mm -hmm. Maybe I want to say that, so maybe I shouldn't repeat myself. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) How many are... Uh, it can't be repeated often enough, Michael, when they make a mistake like this. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so, how many are uh, seriously interested in their church? You should uh, be interested in the Bible, I would say. Yes. That's what you should be interested in. Yeah, okay. I'm in the chat room, and Brother Abear says, what if the church burns down? Yeah, well, that, maybe <laughs> that is their, their rapture. Right. <laughs> oh, Maybe, and the closest they will get to rapture, right? All right, back to you. Uh, How many put their churches above anything else in their lives? Mm. Their Bible get their relationship with their Heavenly Father. Right. That's what I would put instead there. Exactly, yes. How many really know Mm. Jehovah God? Amen. Amen. Even the major Protestant and Catholic leaders are appealed at the oh, appalled, uh, appalled. seeming lack of real interest expressed by so many of their members. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. That can be true. Because that's, right. Or as you said, that's what they would say when you, uh, because when they attend the pagan feast, you only attend here now when it's this feast. You never attend in, in otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh, but that. but they love uh, what's the uh, what's the carnival in uh, New Orleans associated with Lent? They love that, right? Mardi Gras. They love Mardi Gras, but that's pagan. That's totally pagan. Saturnalia. That's what Mardi Gras is. Back to you. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't know. I'm that's yeah. uh, too American for me, probably. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it is a known fact that the majority of people today just aren't interested in real, heartfelt religion at all. Then, to be honest, I don't like the word religion, because right. religious people were probably the one, you know, those that have this religious, uh, like the Pharisees. They put burdens upon people, so I don't like that word, really. But well, it's interesting uh, what he says here, uh, because I was brought up Catholic, and the vast majority of my relatives are Catholic, and they're very devout. Uh, the women go to church regularly, okay? The men tend to avoid it. Uh, so the, they, they really believe their religion. You know, the, they go to the, they light the candles. They drop coins in the, in the candelabra box. They uh, walk down, uh, what do they call it, the stations of the cross. They, uh, and they give alms to the uh, poor slobs in Africa. Right, but they ignore the poor slobs of their own country, even in their own neighborhood. So yeah. they, they, it is heartfelt religion. Yeah, yeah, but okay. that's that religion that has nothing to do with the Bible. I would say that's, that's man right. created. It's, it's created by the Babylonians. Amen. And that's why I don't like that that word really. Yeah, and it's it's faith. The proper word is faith. Religion is all of the rituals that surround the faith. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Faith is, is Very good. Word. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, even though most claim to be Christians. Um, sh- should we then be amazed that over 95% of the Judahites slash Israelites of the Messiah's time were no more religious than our people today? Of course not. People yeah. were the same then as they are today. Well, no, nothing is new under the sun. Yeah. So that is correct. And that's how we also can look at, I believe, at at. The, the time uh, Jesus Christ came the first time, they were living in Judea, in this mixed multitude right. place. That's Isn't right. that the same now, Eli? Exactly. Look at Chicago. Look at Sweden. <laughs> Look yeah, at Germany. Yeah, it's the same again. Yep. the same again. When he going to return? It will be this, uh, that, yeah. and then he's going to return to it. That okay. Is, nothing is new under the sun. Yeah. And that brings up a very good point, because Judea in those days was an acting out of what would happen on the world stage at the second coming, all right? At the first coming, we had a mixed multitude of people in Judea run controlled by Edomite Pharisees. But the control of the Pharisees was only localized in Judea. But now in the end times, what do they control today? How about yeah, the, they, they control all the denominations. They control oh, yeah. The they it's con- the same again. That's right. So that's just a forewarning of what they would accomplish in the end times in which they control the entire planet. Virtually every institution on the entire planet, including our American Congress and our American presidents, 
the only nation they probably don't control is Iran. <laughs> they, they obviously control the rest of the world. There's only one holdout that won't accept their Babylon money, and that's Iran. Back to you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and that's why they are painted as the most evil country you can ever imagine. They Amen. Are the man. They are yes. The enemy. Amen. Mystery and Babylon. really seem to see that. That's right. Okay. They missed that. Okay, uh, now let's see. The false notion that the Judites, Israelites of the Messiah's day were intensely interested in religion. The religion of Moses. I'm mean, now again religion. I don't, maybe, yeah. I don't know. I don't like that faith, maybe it's better. Yeah, right. <laughs> must be eradicated from our minds. Such deceptions must be replaced by the cold facts. The Judites, Israelites... We're no more fervent about the religion of Moses than the majority of Christians are today about the religion of Messiah. Okay, now this yeah. is an interesting statement. Yeah, I, I generally disagree with him that the Judahites slash Israelites weren't fervent because if they weren't, there wouldn't have been the uh, dispute between Paul and Peter, okay, because Peter was of the house of Judah being a Benjamite. And he did not want to accept any of the ten northern tribes into the company of Judah, right? And Paul had to explain to him, hey, these are your kinsmen, all right? Even though they may may be the lost ten tribes, they're still your kinsmen. And the prophecy issued that we would have a redeemer preceded the law of Moses, so you're being uh, prejudiced. (laughs) You're being prejudiced against the ten northern tribes. How dare you? Yeah, wasn't that how some of the house of Judah was? Uh, When the northern tribe were taken away, they believed that we are the only one that is attending to the to uh, to the uh, to the Torah and to to the mosaic uh, mosaic laws. And that's correct. They were the only ones. Yeah. 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 So they they disregarded them. Disregarded them. uh, Disregarded them. And and believe that we are the only one. That that was a bit prideful, maybe. So yeah, got, um, it was prideful. By Babylonians, maybe. That's why in Book of Romans, Paul excoriates the Judahites who had moved to Rome and set up their own synagogue up there. That hey, you're you're being a little too proud about this. Uh, you need to accept. You know, he says, "What about the broken off branch?" I believe that's in Romans chapter three. Uh, they're still Israelites. And they're supposed to be grafted back in. Those verses are not about non-Israelites. Uh, you can't graft something back in if it didn't belong to the original tree. Right? No, impossible. Yeah, impossible. And, right. And those grafted in, they were the they could have been from the Sarah Judah, but also the Israelites. The, there you the, the go. Tribe. Excellent point. Excellent. Yes. Okay, this proves that you have to know your history, you have to know biblical history to understand what the New Testament is about. Okay, all right, and then there was one more sentence here that he in this section. Yeah, oh, yet when they heard the Messiah's message, it began to wake them in their senses. Yes, I agree, they did. Well, you know, obviously, you had a mixed. Uh, multitude in the sense of there were pious and unpious Israelites everywhere, just as they are today. Okay, so nevertheless, they were all expecting the Messiah, even many of the Israelites of the ten northern tribes 
why if the, if that weren't true the they wouldn't have assembled in Jerusalem for Pentecost in 33 AD okay why would they travel all the way from the Tigris and Euphrates and from Egypt to you know a, a, you know, a fellowship with Paul and Peter and John and all the rest of them if they weren't Israelites pious Israelites right so this is a you, know, you can't jump to these conclusions again Mr. Martin has been fooled by Jewish rhetoric and he uses Jewish definitions of words that don't belong in the Bible, period. And that includes the word Jew, the word uh, ecclesia, <laughs> church, the word church doesn't belong in the Bible, etc. And Gentile doesn't belong in the Bible. All right, so the more we study the actual terminology used in the days when the New Testament was written, if we don't study these words, such as ecclesia and Gentile, which is uh, in the in the Greek is uh, is nation, ethnos, it has nothing to do with non-Israelites. And uh, my friend David in Branson, and also Brother Aber is doing a study on the word Gentile. And what David has concluded is that out of the several hundred usages of the word Gentile. Only four are dubious as to whether they refer to Israelites. All the rest of them, he said, refer to Israelites. And you can prove this by cross-referencing passages to other New Testament passages or to Old Testament passages where the word Gentile clearly refers to Israelites and no other people. So it's another confusing word that should not be in the Bible. It just causes confusion. All right? So... Let me jump down to and Elijah Go ahead. and the, com- the thing I feel many of those false translation is a way for the the enemies to um, yeah, for the Edomites uh, uh, to uh, always want to get this universalistic viewpoint with the Bible to say that is forever. correct that is their agenda. That's I feel. correct. That's their total agenda is to confuse us to accept universalism while they practice their ethnic and religious exclusivity okay so we're the goyim they claim to be israelites and we're the goyim when it's the other way around (laughs) we're the israelites and they're the goyim all right okay so the pharisees let's talk about the pharisees the major sect among the divisions of judaism was that oh of the pharisees some typo here it says or this was the most influential group at the time and can be called the leading division. Yeah, they, they were the political, religio-political leaders in Jerusalem. Not so much in the countryside, but in the city. And we know the Jews are a cosmopolitan people. They dwell in the cities. They're not farmers. They're not tradesmen. They, are, they always want to be the leaders, And that's what these Pharisees were. These Edomite Pharisees were propped up by the Romans because Herod assassinated all of the Judahite kings and he took their place. So this was an Edomite coup of Judea. All right, continuing. Even though their membership was only 6,000 out of a population of nearly 3 million, they had greater, well, it's just like the Democratic Party. How many millions do the Democrats control? 
How many minds do they control? And there's only a handful of Jews that control the Democratic Party. All right? The same, same thing going on today. And they had greater religious influence over the people than any other group. And that is correct. The main reason for this is because the individuals in charge of the majority of synagogues were Pharisees in Jerusalem and perhaps a little bit outside of Jerusalem in Judea proper, but I don't believe so in Galilee. Being in charge of the synagogues gave them a certain amount of sway over the common people who attended the synagogue services. We must remember, however, that the evidence shows that only a minority of the common people attended the synagogues with regularity. The Pharisees had no direct control over the bulk of the people at all. This is well stated. It's well stated. Just as with Catholicism, only a small minority of Catholics go to the churches, right? The rest of them are Catholics in name only. Who were the Pharisees? The Pharisees were not exactly like a church as we know it, or an ecclesia as we know it. They were instead a group of men, Edomites primarily, and even some women, also Edomites, representing many different walks of life. Teachers, ministers, business and politicians, moneylenders. How about moneylenders? There were no class of moneylenders among the children of Israel. That was totally forbidden. More proof that these people were not Israelites. These men had voluntarily bound themselves together in a covenant to live a particular manner of life, not necessarily Mosaic. Instead of calling them a church, they can be best described as a religious fraternity or association, ecclesia. These were properly now called Jews, because we're talking about Edomite Jews and their hangers-on, some of whom were, in fact, Judites. These were Jews, or Judeans is the most proper word here. These were Judeans who bound themselves together into an exclusive fraternity, a a secret society, (laughs) right? To perform certain religious customs and traditions that the common people did not wish to keep. This is also well stated. Or did not wish to keep with the strictness of the Pharisees. Now, this is very interesting because I would say some of the Judahites and Benjaminites were savvy enough to realize when the Pharisees were violating the Mosaic law. Okay? I'd say certainly some of them were. It's just, just as we in Christian Israel are savvy enough to realize that the Jews are imposters. Okay? Yeah. And that is also what Jesus Christ said at the beware of the level of the Pharisees, because they change. They they always change depending on on the circumstances. Change it for their their good. They're only they yeah they um, tossing the uh, the the um, what do you say the clothes after the wind. I don't know what the English word right. really for it. But. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the emperor's uh, clothes. The emperor has no clothes. Some of the Israelites were able to see through the facade of the Pharisees and realize that these people aren't our true leaders. I'm not going to their damn synagogue. The the heck with those people. So uh, I'm sure there was a lot of that going on. But those who simply are subject to authoritarianism and accept authoritarianism without question, yeah, those Israelites would have gone to the synagogues. 
but not all of them. Uh, yeah, I think I think Martin overestimates the uh, you know the, the 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 Pharisees had political control because that was given to them by the Romans, but whether they had you know uh, ecclesiastical control is another question. All right, certainly they had their own synagogues, and I would say most Israelites stayed away from them because they suspected the Pharisees were fakes. All right, so let's continue. And I see we have about uh, 15 minutes left. So uh, let's continue. These were Judeans who bound themselves together into an exclusive fraternity, otherwise known as a secret society, to perform certain religious customs, just like the Catholic Church has created all kinds of traditions, rituals, and customs that are not in Scripture, that are scripturally incorrect, Right, such as their uh, sprinkling as opposed to immersion baptism, their uh, sacraments like confession and com- uh, communion, their belief that uh, the Eucharist is the literal body and blood of Christ. I mean, these are rituals that are piled on top of Scripture illegitimately. Totally. Yeah, and it isn't that also something, for example, you have in the Catholic Church where they have this, you're going to confess your sin to the, to the priest. Right, your confession, right? Uh, right. Confession. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, well, it said it confess your sins to another and 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 um, yeah. But not, but uh, not so. to a Catholic priest. <laughs> no, no, because right? they probably spread it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, they. It's, he's like a spy. They, they yeah. know everything about you because of confession. Average Catholic yeah. doesn't even really suspect this. All right. Yeah. Uh, so, you, you, yeah. Like, Eli, didn't you mention that sometime? I have the me- memory that you, yeah. Didn't you go to this when you were young and confess? Oh yeah. And the whole school know it. The whole school <laughs> a couple of days later. What's this? I, I thought this was confidential. <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. All right. Edersheim continues. The object of the association was twofold: to observe in the strictest manner, and according to traditional law all the ordinances concerning Levitical purity and to be extremely punctilious in all connected with religious dues, meaning tithes and all other dues. Now, of course, this is a Jew speaking, but this Jew will never reveal to us that these Pharisees were primarily Edomites in (laughs) Judahite clothing. Edomites in Judahite clothing. All right. Now, this is what typically a modern Christian would call Judaization, you know, stressing the rituals. But uh, the Levitical duties were no longer necessary because the Messiah had come. So all of those rituals that relate to animal sacrifice are done and, go- and done away with. Those were done away with. The Pharisees were never a homogeneous body possessed of a definite policy or body of doctrine. This is quoting the Encyclopedia Britannica. Yeah, that's because the Pharisees made their religion up as they went along, which is exactly what the Jews do today. They just make it up. At no time was it required of all Pharisees to believe alike, and neither do the Jews today agree on doctrine. There's a, the, the doctrine varies with every rabbi. 
This fact is very important. By understanding this, we can come to a clear comprehension of the true activity of the Pharisees during the time of the Messiah. The essential thing to know, folks, is that they were imposters. And they had started a new religion called Judaism, which did not exist until the Pharisees invented it. Here, this is a very important part of history. Since the Levitical priesthood had died out, was no longer necessary. These Edomites took over the rituals, began making up their own rituals, their own rules and regulations. This is the beginning of the Talmud. This is where the Talmud originated, and every Jew under the sun will admit to us, even, even today, that Judaism is the religion of the Pharisees. Yeah, and here again, is, I see that here again we have this this similarity between today and then, because mm-hmm. when Jesus Christ, um, when he had had completed his mission here, uh, didn't also the Pharisees lose all their political power after that? Yeah, yeah. So this is essentially a political movement. It's a coup. The Pharisees are a group of conspirators, Edomite conspirators, to take over the religion, properly so-called now, and actually create the religion that we know as Judaism today. It did not exist before this time. Okay? It did not exist before this time. Very important to realize this. It did not exist among the Maccabees or the Hasmoneans or any Israelites because, number one, the Maccabees refused to circumcise non-Israelite males, even Greeks. They refused to circumcise Greek males or Roman males because they were heathen, right? They, they fought wars against the Greeks and Romans to preserve their faith. So when did the, when did the religion change? When did, when did it become Pharisaic? It became Pharisaic at, at the cross, at, at Calvary, when the Pharisees were able to take over the Levitical school. That's when it happened, folks. Okay. So, uh, with about uh, 10 minutes left, yeah, the, these statements about the Pharisees are correct. And so, I think we have time for this one last section here. You want to take the Pharisaical schools? There's about three paragraphs here. Uh, but uh, still, haven't we this one left? This, uh, it can be plainly shown that the Pharisees existed. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, well, uh, pick it up there. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's, okay, Uh, yeah, pick it up from there. uh, It can be plainly shown that the Pharisees exercise a little little central authority among themselves at all. Uh, In fact, other than their uniformly in their desire to keep the laws of purity and the other religious dues, the Pharisees represent a group of men with unlimited difference of opinion. Okay, do you know what? Yeah, amen. Do you know? Well, what is a yeshiva, Michael? Yeshiva. Yeah, that's where um, rabbis get together to argue with each other. Uh huh. <laughs> okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that one. That's what it is. Back to you. And here we have it again. Uh huh. So they were not one unified group in the matter of religious doctrines. Yeah, here is more similarities. Yep. One Pharisee would teach his opinion on a religious question, and other would teach another opinion, in many instances often totally different or diametrically opposed. 
each Pharisee could teach whatever he pleased. <laughs> That's right. That's what they still the do. Yep. And still be a, Pharisee. be a Pharisee. Yeah. You can be a reprobate. <laughs> That's what a Pharisee is. He's a reprobate. Yeah. Uh, so long as he kept bound to the Pharisaical rule of life. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But the, that's how can you that's so contrary. How can you say you are you are like a Christian but then you preach different stuff? It sounds to me so wrong. Right. Well at least mm-hmm. the at le- well of course in modern day Judaism you've got the orthodox Jews, reformed Jews, conservative Jews, you got the Hasidic Jews and they basically have a set doctrine but they still argue amongst themselves. Even within those set groups. But none of them are Israelites, and none of them teach Torah. They pretend they do, but they don't. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here again, we have this, nothing is new in the sun. They still have this, that they have pharisaical rule of life. This is this, this what do you say, this religion or this, they have their, their um, I'm losing the word. Sect, having their, sect, cult. Yeah, uh, sect, yeah. cult, and they have their, um, they, ah, I forgot the word, so let's go on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And, you can imagine what confusion this would bring among the Pharisees. Yeah, it did. I guess it did. And everybody wants to be the king of the, the king of the hill. That's right. Yeah, and they've had many imposters, such as Maimonides and uh, uh, who's uh, Le, Le, I forget. Oh, Shabbatai Levi, pretending yeah. to be Messiah. Okay, back to you. Yeah, what I was thinking about this Pharisaical rule of life is that that's a ritual. That's right. The rituality of their life, I guess. That is the thing they keep to, and then they can preach whatever they want. That's right. That's essentially what Judaism is. Yeah, back to you. Okay, now we have a next section. Can we get through this for nine on eight minutes? We'll see. Okay. Um, the Pharisaical schools. Just a few years before the birth of the Messiah, and also during his lifetime, we have a record of many divisions within the pharisaical groups. These divisions resulted from difference of opinion among the Pharisees. Some Pharisees who might believe one particular set of doctrines would tend to um, associate themselves together into their own societies. Yeah. The Hasidic Jews, right? (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Some of the prominent of these societies would also form themselves into schools where, the, where any difference of opinion on religious question among themselves could be discussed and then accepted or rejected by the will of the school. Yeah, the yeshiva, right. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, and, this, and this you also can see here. Here they have difference between each other, and that is divisions in, among, in, among your, in your house, and a, a house divided cannot stand. Yes, but they are unified against us. No matter how much they disagree with each other, they are unified against us, against the Goyim. That people have to understand. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, two of the most distinguished schools at the time, representing the two major uh, divisions of the Pharisees, were the school of uh, Hillel and the school of uh, Shammai. Uh, these two schools were the rivals of one another. The point over which they disagreed were practically innumerable. 
And that's from Cyclopedia of Biblical, um, Theological and Ecclesiastical Literature uh, by uh, McClintock and Strong. Yeah. McLean-talk. Well, let me say here, the average Christian believes that Judaism is a monolithic religion and all Jews agree and all Jews preach the word of Moses. They are wrong in every single point. Back to you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is, yeah. Um, there uh, was hardly a point of religious doctrine that these two schools completely agreed on. Oh, my. Yep. Uh, and we have Edersheim again says that at one time there was such a violent disagreement between these two schools that blood was shed between them. Whoa. Okay. Well, yeah, here, at this point, I would say there was only one thing that the two uh, two Jewish schools agreed upon, and that was the uh, failure to accept Yahshua as Messiah. That they agreed on. Okay? Okay, I think we can have one paragraph left here. Yeah. Um, These two schools were not the only divisions of the Pharisees. However, there were many more. Dr. George H. Box of the University of London informs us the Pharisees at this time were sharply divided into various sections which were not exhausted by the rival schools of Hillel and and Shammai and that's from the Abington Bible Commentary there were many other splinter groups existed even among the Pharisees almost all teaching different doctrines okay so yes so you can imagine the confusion. But the leading school, uh, whether it was Hillel or Shammai, was the Pharisees. The Romans didn't care which school was the most powerful. They, they, they could care a rat's behind. What they were interested in was collecting tribute from the people of Judea. That's the only thing they were interested in, right? So... And they didn't care whether these people were Edomites or Judahites or what what have you. They just were interested in keeping order, and that's what Pontius Pilate was sent there to do, to keep order, so that uh, there was enough order to collect the taxes and the, what do you call it, the, uh, they had to pay a fee when the uh, body count was taken, the census was taken. And that's all the Romans were cared about because they had to feed their armies, Right? So the, the least amount of strife existing in a particular population was the aim of the Romans, and it was these Pharisees who were stirring up the masses against Yahshua Messiah. Okay? Now, are they not doing exactly the same thing? Aren't the Jews stirring up agitation among us Christians? Don't they still deny the Messiah today? Brother Michael. Yeah, that is the that is the, the denial of Jesus Christ when they take his name in vain. They that's what they do. They use his name in vain. But Jesus was a Jew, wasn't he? <laughs> right? I don't know. That's that's all some some kind of uh, uh, lie that has spread among our people, our brothers. The, I guess the white naturalists believe that, so that's yes, they why do. they cannot pick up their Bible. That's right. They, they falsely believe that Jesus was a Jew. That is a Jewish lie, deliberately planted into the minds of white nationalists to confuse them. Yeah, and, they, and then and they, they reject yeah. their Messiah. And Amen. they will also be judged for that. They, they won't make it through the judgment day if they reject the Messiah. 
Yeah, because uh, the, the, the last question, <laughs> well, maybe the first question that Yahshua asks us at the Judgment Day is, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> right? And uh, the white, average white national will say, who are you? <laughs> right? <laughs> so it's a sad state of affairs. It is a really sad state of affairs. The average white person, being a secular person, has no interest in the Bible. They laugh at it, actually, and so do the white nationalists. And the only true representation of Scripture is in Christian identity, and they reject us. They, they believe that we're trying to be Jews. No, 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 no. You've got that backwards. It's the Jews who are impersonating Israel, not vice versa. Okay? So this is the state of the religion, so-called today, the state of Israel today. And it's these false definitions and translations of words in Scripture that are the problem. You cannot do enough study of Scripture and understanding the proper definitions of words, because this is where we get into trouble. All right. Okay. Thank you, Michael. Uh uh, excellent show today. I, I hope uh, this reaches more people, especially white nationalists who don't understand that the true religion, the true faith, is a racially segregated faith of the covenant people. Thank you, Michael. All right, folks. Thanks for listening. Praise Yahweh. Pass the ammunition. See you all next time. <laughs>